Welcome, I'm Nicole Burdett with Meritalk. Over the last year, the cybersecurity landscape changed drastically. To make real progress, the public and the private sector must join forces, tapping the human side of cybersecurity, the people, alongside technology and policy. For Meritalking's second installment of the Human Side of Cyber series with Tanium, Tedder Burgess, Senior Vice President, Public Sector at Tanium, is joined by Joyce Hunter. Joyce is the former Deputy CIO at USDA and currently serves as Executive Director at the Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology. In this episode, Tedra and Joyce will dive into the Biden administration's cybersecurity executive order. They'll discuss why collaboration is a vital factor for national cybersecurity improvements, and they'll share recommendations on how to coordinate a better defense. Tedra, Joyce, welcome. And I'll pass it over to you, Tedra. Great, thanks so much. Joyce, thank you for joining us today. As we've come together today to discuss the importance of collaboration between public and private sector, with respect to cyber, I honestly can't think of a better person to dive into this topic <laughs> with. Your extensive career in government, over 30 years of experience in IT, long history of building and maintaining relationships with public and, and private stakeholders, working interagency projects, et cetera. Right? I think it's an understatement to say you are a busy lady. I really love that you are referred to as a strategic doer as well. If you would tell us a little bit more about yourself, just a bit or two about what you're currently doing, ICIT, and anything else you'd like to share with our audience. Thank you so much, Tedra, and I appreciate the offer to provide this podcast to Meritalk. I look forward to the discussion today, and I cannot believe it's been over 30 years. It went by so quickly. When somebody says that, they read my background, I'm like, mm, did that happen that long ago? I am really happy to be here and glad to share the information that I have. I like to say I'm a strategic doer because not only do I think of the big picture and I look out over the horizon, but then I'm able to roll up my hands and actually execute. And I think that's where a lot of people get into their rapid eye movement. They don't really understand what it takes to execute on a particular vision. And that's what this is with the executive order. The president has explained what his vision is. And he is looking for the agencies and the departments to start executing on it. And with OMB coming out with their guidelines and CISA coming out with their guidelines, I think we're going to move a little bit faster than a lot of the agencies because they, without guidance, it seems that nobody knows exactly what to do. So I am the executive director of the Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology. And what that means is I am responsible for putting together the programs, offering the programs, and the programs are webinars, executive board meetings, and actually the uh, heading of the writing of the research papers and publication of artifacts from ICIT. So basically, that's what I've been doing for the last 18 months. In fact, the funny thing is that I started this about two months after COVID started. I think I came in at a good time because everybody was going away from in-face and face-to-face -face meetings and going towards the virtual meetings. So I kind of came in and worked with Param Eftikari, who is our chairman of the board, and redesigned ICIT from an in-face meeting person. We always had our research background, but also to bring in those 
webinars and those virtual executive roundtables. Awesome. Thank you so much for that background. It's very helpful. So again, for this episode, we're talking about the importance of public and private sector collaboration. Before we do that and kind of jump in, let's set the stage from your perspective. What would you say are the biggest obstacles to strengthening cybersecurity defenses? I think the biggest obstacle is resources, whether they be financial resources or human resources. People are complaining that their departments, if there is a shortage, they take it from cybersecurity or else other places. And I have seen it not only in the federal space as far as public sector, but also in the educational space. They will do everything else except for devote the resources that they need for cybersecurity. I read a recent report that there are 1,400, TEDRA 1,400 institutions of higher education who have been attacked in the last 18 months. Wow. Wow. And it's happening more and more every day. I saw one last week. And it's mostly because people don't think it's going to happen to them. You know, they read the stories, they hear the history. There's lots of artifacts out there about that. But they say, oh, we're doing okay. We haven't been attacked so far. So let's continue on down the path and we won't get attacked in the future. What is it, a penny foolish and a pound short? It's great that you brought up that piece on the education is because, you know, what we're seeing is it's happening at all levels of educational Mm -hmm. institutions. And we talk about resourcing, you know, our local K-12 schools are not resourced for the right cyber defense and, and I think are really, really blindsided when they're attacked. Yeah, exactly. And Tedra, I will say one thing. It's not the students they're after. Somebody may do it just as a, as a goof. OK, so you have some really bright person, high school student, probably that's up at two o'clock in the morning and says, oh, let me see if I can hack into whatever. But then you get into the ransomware yeah. piece of this. And they're not after, you have to recall the chain that the students can lead to. So board members, parents, faculty. So once you get in, you can find that there's a fine line that can be sewn back to a person that they do want to get to. Mm -hmm. And so people have to realize it's not necessarily the students. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So as we look at President Biden's cyber executive order, you know, one of the key recommendations is improved collaboration between federal government and private sector. What opportunities does this enable and you know, what is really needed to improve overall cyber communications and collaboration in general between these two sectors? I think there has to be an open and honest discussion. I always call it the three C's, collaboration, coordination, and cooperation. I understand the competitive landscape and everybody wants to get their product towards number one. But I think if we actually sit down as a group, and there are, I know there are thousands and thousands or hundreds and hundreds of cybersecurity product companies. But if we are going to be vigilant about what we're doing, we have to put all the ideas on the table. I don't care what company you work for. This is related to the American public. And I think that asking for comments and, you know, we've got to get out of, well, I don't want to share my ideas because somebody may take them. That's silly. 
you know, that's very immature. I believe that the only way we're going to get through this is if we put all of the ideas on the table. That's one way of doing it. I think having this open forum where people can make their suggestions and then maybe having a town hall, a closed town hall. So nothing is for attribution. The, a lot of the product companies can get together and, and talk about what they are doing and you know some of their ideas. I know that that's far-fetched, but we've got to do something because the adversary is, as soon as we develop a cure, if you will, the adversary is, has already come up with something else. So we've got to move faster. And that means constant communication. Great. Thank you. Another key development from the cyber executive order is the, the establishment of this cyber safety review board. And I think that is a nice segue from some of your comments there. Looking for that cyber safety review board to be co-chaired by government and private sector leaders that will analyze cyber incidents, make recommendations on how to strengthen security moving forward. How do you think this board could positively impact our cyber transformation overall? I think because they are talking about real world problems and they are coming together to solve those real world problems. That's how I think that we can actually overcome some of these challenges that we are facing. Everybody is so closed door, closed mouth, wanting to keep all the information for themselves and companies and federal government and academic institutions and nonprofits are, you know, hiding their heads underneath the blankets and denying it. I mean, what happened, what was it, last week or week before last? Was it Nordstrom that said that they were breached, but the breach happened a year ago? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you saying something now? I agree that if you do not, you know, what the federal government said about a week ago or so, that if you do not reveal when the incident happened within 60 to 90 days, you're going to be fined. Mm-hmm. People need to know. If their information is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, staying silent. Sure, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, silence. The time for silence is over. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a black eye on the company or the organization, but everybody has got to take off the kimono and, you know, and stop fooling around because this is not going to get any better if we don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the silence, I think, is unsustainable. It makes the problem even larger for the broader community. And goodness, how much we would benefit and learn from one another and be able to turn these incidents into an ability for others to proactively yes, <laughs> whatever, yes. you know, yes. um, others have been hit by just seems to make a lot of sense for sure. Absolutely. And I think that these are serious times. It's not going to get any better. And I think having the, this form, and I think it should be Maybe like they do in healthcare, they should have these roundtables and have them rotate. Everybody can put in their application, and I don't know how many is a good number, maybe 25 or so. And then every 18 months, they change. You can't get there and stay there because technology doesn't stay still. And people don't stay still. I mean, every four years or every two years, all depending, you know, you have different people in different roles. And I think so it needs to be rotated. Every so often, so that you get fresh minds, fresh ideas, and it's not going to be anything that's going to be stagnant. Yeah, I think it's very important to keep it fresh. And to your point, none of this will work if organizations on public and private 
if they don't step up to rapidly, <laughs> rapidly is a key oh word. There. Yes. <laughs> share, yes, share yes, their yes. incident information, right? So yes, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And before we go, I'd like to recite a couple of the verses of Simon and Garfunkel's Sound of Silence. I think, I think you'll find the, the <laughs> lyrics very interesting. <laughs> That's awesome. From the cyber executive order, what is most important for agencies to get done over this next year? I think funding it. Funding it is number one. Getting the financial resources necessary and doing a head-to-toe analysis of your organization. If software is out of date, get it fixed. I know it's going to be an inconvenience for some people, but we have learned from some mistakes of others. Well, it's never convenient for anybody, right? To take the system down and to do upgrades and patches and things like that, but get it done. The second is, and I have said this before, I even went into the federal government as the deputy CIO. Use the military example. Stop complaining that you can't find the people. You can find the people. You just have to give the incentive in order for the people to come. Yes, there are corporations out here. We're all going after the same resources. But make it valuable and useful for the participant or the person who's applying. We all know college debt is extremely high. We know that there are a lot of students who have trouble doing their loans. So give them an incentive, have them come on as interns, you know, test them out while they're in high school, junior, senior in high school, maybe something like the pathway program. And then when they go to college, pay for their college. And then when they get out, like the military, they owe you four years. That way you are sure that they're not going to learn in one year and then go off to work for somebody else. They owe you four years for an undergrad, six years if they get a master's degree and don't know how long it would take for a PhD, but Mm -hmm. you have a guaranteed resource. They are coming out of school with no debt. That's what I think they ought to do. Mm -hmm. No, I love it. It's being intentional. It's having a plan and going after the type of talent that's needed, but doing so in in an intentional way, Mm -hmm. a very strategic approach to things. This has been a pervasive issue for many, many years of of recruiting the right talent. And we know what an incredibly competitive market this is. I think the other thing is what healthcare is doing with uh, the HBCUs. Healthcare is making a significant investment in HBCUs to develop their health IT organizations. And we could do the same thing Mm -hmm. with cybersecurity, you know, with your business schools and et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Actually, this podcast series, right, the, the human side of cyber, our, our first episode was all about, um, you definitely touched on recruitment of diverse candidates and how to go about finding them. And again, I think categorize it all in that statement, again, of being intentional and being mm-hmm. strategic about how we go about these things. Absolutely. Yes. Developing a mature and tightly connected security framework that enables the reduction of risk and improved security mm-hmm. capabilities. We know how critical that is. It's more critical today than probably ever before. Ever before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. So yeah. true. What type of model can organizations from both private and public sector adopt to achieve this goal while allowing for smooth communications? And I wrote that down. Collaboration, coordination, and cooperation. <laughs> 
yes. So I, yes. I'm guessing those those three C's may have something to do with how can we go about a, achieving that goal? And you know, what do you think the benefits of, of that model would be? With all organizations, whether it's public, private, or academic or nonprofit, mm-hmm. it starts at the top. So the chairman of the board or the president or the COO or the CEO has to make this a priority in all of their organizations, whether it's the secretary or the deputy secretary. And President Biden has already put his foot in the game. Mm -hmm. He's already come out with an idea. Now it's up to the agencies, particularly the leaders of those agencies, to put forth the effort to get it done. Now, with Fatara, they were looking at the cybersecurity posture of agencies during the last, I guess, hearing on Congress. I think that should be stepped up. I think the CISO, as well as the secretary, as well as the CIO, should be hauled up to Congress and asked the questions on what have they done, what are they doing, and what were the results? The who, what, where, when, and why. And that way, we have some answers. Absolutely. It's the accountability, right? Um, Yes, absolutely. And I think what President Biden and OMB and SIZE is trying to do is they're trying to encourage agencies to develop that coalition of the willing. Mm -hmm. So the same kind of task force that the president is asking for the combined public-private partnership, that should be done at every single agency. Now, a lot of agencies already have enterprise licensing agreements with some of these organizations, and they could take those enterprise licensing agreements and put together a task force. They have the leadership already. They have the CISO, the secretary, the deputy secretary, and I understand that there are some agency leaders who don't want to get involved in the nitty gritty, but this is important, very important. And if we're going to maintain our security posture, it has to come from the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point, I don't know that getting involved or not getting involved is really a choice because uh, yes. these things are knocking at the door, right? Whether yes. you know, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And I think even involved in that mix should be the chief data officer. Mm-hmm. They are one of the ones who can say which ones are critical data, which ones have that data structure. And all agencies should have a data management plan. They should have a coup in DR, and they should utilize every single piece of the organization needed in order to secure the data that we have. Oh, I love that. I think the incorporation of the CDO and that example would simply help to have folks understand across the board what they are actually trying to protect. Because a lot of times yes. people don't even understand that necessarily. We get so bogged down in the individual silos, but that's spot on from a data perspective. And that's the right person to be at that table for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. If you wanted to share those those (laughs) lyrics, uh, we could definitely jump into that. (laughs) Absolutely. But I wanted to share something else, if if you wouldn't mind. Please. Uh, Talking about, uh, we're coming out with a book, ICIT. And it's called Securing the Nation's Critical Infrastructures, a Guide for the 2021 to 2025 Administration. What the book will do is it will aim to help members of critical infrastructure communities prioritize cybersecurity, 
combat emerging threats and consider modernization and nascent technologies. The book is divided into 18 chapters that are focused on the critical infrastructure sectors, election security, and local state government cybersecurity. Each chapter will feature viewpoints from former government leaders, C-level executives, academics, and other cybersecurity thought leaders. The state of the sector is one, emerging areas for innovation and recommendations for the future. And this book will be published by CRA, which is a wonderful publishing firm. And it will be probably coming out first quarter of uh, 2022. So we're really excited and looking forward to this book's publication. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, the lyrics are, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping, that's cybersecurity, left its seeds while I was sleeping. Those are all the nefarious people out there. And the vision that was planted in my brain or in your systems still remains within the sound of silence. Poignant. I love it. (laughs) And drawing that correlation back to cybersecurity. That's fantastic. I think that's a great place for us to close out and leave this conversation. This has been uh, so incredibly insightful, Joyce. I can't thank you enough. And thank you for the time that you've spent. Thank you for your service um, in the government yourself and all of the work that you are doing today on behalf of ICIT to further the efforts across the country of strengthening our cyber defenses. So really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And if anybody wants any information, they could reach us at www.icitech.org. I appreciate this, Tedra. I appreciate Meritalk. And we'll see each other around the cyber world. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Nicole, I'll pass the conversation back to you to close us out. Tedra and Joyce, thank you again for your time. These are such important issues, and we appreciate your perspectives. We look forward to having you both back again very soon. To everyone listening, thank you. And please take a moment to subscribe to Meritalking and stay tuned for future episodes from the human side of cyber series with Tanium. 